to talk and read all things books and mystery. Funny stories. The characters of youth always tend to be a sleuth. The Hardy Boys will do. Don't forget Nancy Drew. It's a clue. Hello, super sleuths. I'm Karen. And I'm Kelly. Welcome to It's a Clue, a faux crime comedy podcast for amateur sleuths such as yourself. The week we've all been waiting for is finally upon us. Yes. We are finally, yeah, right? I know, like, we've been talking about this, I think, since our very first, like, little mini episode. Yep. We are finally going to full-on savor and take our time, really sinking our teeth into and enjoying Nancy Drew and the Bungalow Mystery the book whose title has been inciting heated debate since our introductory episode. So in no particular order, Karen, I think we need to discuss a few things like this. Okay. Is Don just a poor man's dark or (laughs) vice versa? (laughs) Is an open-faced sandwich basically just avocado toast? Oh, good question. (laughs) Did hobbits create the concept of second breakfast or did Nancy Drew? Oh, good one. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Mm-hmm. And why are there so many rando bungalows around here when, in an average of 37 years between us, to my knowledge, we've never once been invited to one? Not once. Not a single bungalow. Not a single bungalow. Betwixt us. (laughs) And I'm friggin' bitter. (laughs) I have bungalow dreams and a hot dog budget. (laughs) We gotta do something about this. Life goals here. (laughs) Life goals. So uh, before we dive in... Uh, I have a question for you. Oh, okay. So given given our scintillating conversation last week about activities and room for them, a la Step Brothers. Indeed. What activities have you gotten up to this week? I got up to such a good activity this week. Ooh, tell me, tell me, tell me. I have been so excited to tell you this. So in my interneting around all things Nancy Drew, I keep coming across all of these people on Instagram and other places that are Mm -hmm. obsessed with the Nancy Drew PC games. Did you know about this? I did know. Yes. And one of my friends, Heather, I know has played that for years. I've never played it, though. No, I hadn't either. I had no idea these Mm -hmm. existed. And like people love them. And so yesterday I was like, it's time. It's time to find out what the what this game is. So I got one. There are approximately 30 of these games, so there, I was not sure where to start. So I just grabbed the first one that looked awesome, and it was called, um, what's it called? Oh, The Ghost of Thornton Hall, which may surprise Ooh, you, I'm because su- I... I'm surprised. Yeah. I'm very surprised you selected a ghost one. I was as well, and I it, it is freaking me out, <laughs> I will say. I loved this game. It reminds me a lot of the games that you and I really liked back in the, the day, like Myst, or... Oh, yeah. Those kind of like immersive puzzle solving games where yeah. it's first person and you're walking around like picking things up and inspecting them yeah. and um, like looking for clues, looking for clues. And the <laughs> the puzzles that you have to solve are very different. Like in this game, one of the first things I had to do was figure out how to charge an old cell phone, but the house I'm in doesn't have power. And so I had to like read this manual and make a battery out of a bag of oranges oh, and fun. like pennies and stuff. And the it's very, it's it's just like very captivating the whole time. Um, yeah, I love it. So I'm that gonna, is so fun. I'm gonna finish that today and probably get another yeah. one because there are 29 nice. more. Um, and that's what I've been doing. That's a that is a 
perfectly on brand activity for the week, I would say. Thank you. Thank you. Yes. And it got me very mm-hmm. enthused about recording today. Um, what have you been up to? I have been building a dollhouse. The I got, dollhouse. I mean, you know, of course, I think, you know, there's been a million hobbies you can sink your teeth into during quarantine. And, you know, I kind of started with the baking thing like everybody, although I've always liked to bake. So um, I realized, too, that that was just leading me toward eating everything I baked. And (laughs) as a single person household, I needed to just not have dozens of cupcakes around my house for (laughs) however long quarantine lasted. So I ended up buying this dollhouse kit. I've never done it before. I just, you know, it's like a Pinterest activity that I was like, well, that that looks fun, you know, and, yeah. and we pass some fun time. So anyway, I've, I'm trying to build as much as I can. Like I, I assembled it over Christmas and now I'm trying to like build as much of the furniture as I can. Oh, see, you're so, a better yeah. person than me. I would be. Well, I really want to just buy it all, but you know, I'm like, it's it's expensive. And, you know, it's also just kind of keeps the fun going if you just to, to enjoy the building process. So it might all look like trash when I'm done. I don't know. But I'm, it will. Uh, I've been doing that in my in my non Nancy Drew reading time this week. So would you describe your dollhouse as a bungalow? <laughs> I, <laughs> I would not. I would not. Although I, I think that maybe that will have if I if I do another one, which I think I actually might. They're pretty fun. Um, maybe I'll have to do a bungalow. I and think I'll put like perfect. a little kidnap victim in it somewhere. <laughs> have a little moon lake out back. <laughs> exactly. I am <laughs> very a, here for that. <laughs> yeah, but th- sc- scatter some gasoline around on it, and you know, kerosene, gasoline, one of those two things, whatever. Um, so yeah, any um. Any any recommendations? Uh, good book. I know you're always reading like four books, so I could always take a book recommendation. But podcast shows, What's, you know what you what you watch and read and listening to these days. I would love to tell you about the show that I'm watching. I don't know if you've seen this. Netflix was targeting this so hard at me, and I'm like, I'm not a child, so I'm not going to watch it. Have you seen Waffles and Mochi yet? I haven't watched it yet, but I I mean I know about it because that's Michelle Obama's show, right? Yes, and I yes. I, is it is it everything I want it to be? Oh my god, Kelly. It is so cute. And within the first five minutes, I my jaw hit the floor because it is 100% like the 2021 response to Fraggle Rock. <laughs> it is so cute. It's like these little adorable puppets that are working in a garden and in a grocery store and going on adventures, but interacting with real people. And it is so just... So like very, very Sesame Street- Yes. Maria and Gordon and yeah. It is so cute. And of course, yes, Michelle Obama is the absolute best. Is she um, on it? She is. She's the <sighs> the owner of the the store, the grocery store where they have the garden and grow their fresh vegetables and she's, so Michelle Obama is playing a character. Like she's she's not like no, first Mich- lady Michelle Obama. It's Michelle Obama as Michelle Obama. I love it so much. It's so good. And it's it kind of has like a little Anthony Bourdain vibe to it because they go in their their magic cart around to learn about different types of food. So they travel to different countries and like ask people about what they're making and like famous chefs will come show them how to make dishes out of whatever That's the so ingredient great. of the episode is. It is the cutest thing I've ever seen and I like like I can't handle it. I mean, if if there is a show out there that can normalize me eating waffles and mochi, which <laughs> are two things I enjoy very much, but have like hard cut out of my diet, like reference my cupcake comment earlier. Um, 
then that would be great. Well, so that's kind of the thing is that so waffles and mochi as frozen foods come from the land of frozen food. And they have never encountered things like tomatoes and <laughs> like fresh oh, produce. Okay, so, this makes a lot more sense now. Yes, they and the the main character Waffles is like this cute weird puppet, and the explanation for what this creature looks like is that its mom was a waffle and its dad was a yeti, so it's like a little Bigfoot with waffle ears, oh and it's so cute. <laughs> That's the cutest thing I've ever. Heard. Well, that actually makes a lot more sense. I was like. You know, I am pretty confident that nobody's harvesting mochi out of the garden. So this kind of flies in the face of everything I know about Michelle Obama's initiatives. But I'm down. Like, I'm I'm totally down if, if this means that I can have waffles on the reg, but apparently not. So womp womp. Yep, yep. A slightly different turn of events, but you will love it. Um, I, I cannot recommend it enough. Well, I'm going to check that out. What are you watching? You're probably watching something like Ooh. creepy. Not creepy, but I did start. There's that. There's a new Netflix doc um, that's called "You're Being Robbed" or "You've Been Robbed." It's about this um, art, art art heist that happened in Boston in oh. 1990, and it is fascinating. It is completely fascinating. So yeah, we'll have to discuss that once you've dug in. But oh, I can't uh, wait. I think it's it's unsolved, and these works of art that you're completely familiar with, like you'll you'll know you'll recognize them from art books and art history class and whatever um have never been recovered so they were stolen from this this kind of i shouldn't call it like a little museum but i think uh, i mean i've never heard of it that's not saying anything i'm not like an art guru <laughs> or anything um so it's this kind of like uh, kind of unique art gallery in in boston and i'm dying to go there now as i'm sure everyone who is watching this documentary is and um, but there, there's like uh, an open air garden kind of in the middle of this building with these really unique, interesting galleries all around it. And yeah, it's it's fascinating. So yeah, you'll have to watch that and, uh, and let me know your theories because they are, I mean, I, I have a prevailing theory, but I'll be curious to hear yours. And I haven't finished it yet. So who knows what happens, but. Oh, I'm so on it. Also, mm-hmm. I have to tell you this, the uh, like real time update Something so weird just happened. <laughs> tell, tell. So I live in a townhome, and the the townhome next to me is probably like this other person's window is maybe 12 feet away from mine. And mm-hmm. out of the corner of my eye, I just saw something oh God, like nervous. fly out of this window. And when I glanced at it while you were talking, it I thought it was a human hand hanging out of this oh window. Oh my gosh. It's like a leather work glove all of a sudden just popped out and is just hanging out of the window like blowing in the breeze well i don't like that at all i'm very afraid like it it just all of a sudden appeared and i thought like at first glance i had this like my whole body shuddered i thought it was a hand hanging out of the window so karen you have a vastly different philosophy in life than nancy does what being what (laughs) Like, your first instinct is not to, like, run over there next door and be like, what's going on? Why is there a glove? Is everybody okay? Um, Absolutely not. No, I'm like, call 911. I closed the blinds. (laughs) You closed the blinds? (laughs) I'm like, I don't want to see it if it's... Well, it's... I think it is a clue. That's the opposite of Mrs. Kravitzing. (laughs) This is for sure a clue. Like, why is one work glove... This is completely a clue. Take a picture really fast. I totally will. I will take a picture and post it. Maybe it connects with what I posted on Instagram a few weeks ago of the the lone, like, goth lace-up girl boot that was just (laughs) sitting on a wall. 
I not two of them. That would have made more sense. Like where, where was she going, and how did she get there with one? Sh- so I, many questions. Yeah, where was she going? What happened to her? You know, in the words of John Mulaney, like you want to think it was a miracle, but probably not. <laughs> I can't stop watching this glove hanging out of this window. It's like blowing in the breeze now. Something I oh, this is going to be very How, distracting. But oh, I have so many questions. I'll update you throughout the episode as the glove as things progress. <laughs> mystery progresses. Yeah, um, well, you definitely found a clue. Now the question is, do you have enough like you know, eighteen-year-old girl sleuth curiosity inside your soul to investigate? Or I mean, I would encourage you to not. I I I don't have that that spark of life in me and i will be i mean nancy nancy clearly had not listened to any true crime podcasts or else she wouldn't have been doing half the nonsense she was doing no no she would not um and i guess with that we will transition transition into the bungalow mystery which you have to say Mm -hmm. it you have to say it like that right the bungalow it's it's a terrible word to say (laughs) it just it it like catches in the back of my throat and it (laughs) I'm just not entirely sure that the last syllable is going to ever come out. That's how I felt about Nathan Gomber in the last book. Oh, Gom, exactly. Gomber. Is it just is it just hard G sounds? Maybe, maybe I don't know. Maybe, but yeah. Well, I did a small amount of research that I will say quickly so we can move along. But we had a brief discussion last time about how wildly different the first two books were and whether or not Mm -hmm. we believed them to be written by the same person. Yes. So I Googled it, like you do. And I found out the following. So true, we all know this to be true, that these books had many different authors over the years and many different ghostwriters. However, the early Mm -hmm. books are most likely all written by the same person, who is this woman whose name is Mildred Wirt Benson. And she was like the first of the ghostwriters. She started working for the man who owned this conglomerate edward stratemeyer in 1929 and Mm -hmm. she is like super fascinating i recommend looking her up she was like a powerhouse in 1929 she was like one of the first women to graduate with a journalism degree from the school that she went to um she had an english degree like she's super fascinating she also wrote a series of books that i had never heard of called the dana girls series i haven't heard of those either i have no idea what that is so we have to read those now obviously um, so was was Carolyn Keene a real person, or was that just totally a pseudonym? Totally a pseudonym. Huh. No, I had no idea. I for some reason I thought there really was a Carolyn Keene. I did too. But that yeah, maybe I'm I wrong, knew there were ghostwriters, but so Mildred is the fir- the first Carolyn Keene, and um okay. Oh, and the quote I wrote down that I saw in the I think this is in like Wikipedia, but I loved this quote because it ties into what we've been saying. Um, about Mildred, the author, she knew as she was writing them, she was writing something that girls were going to enjoy because the heroine was so unusual for her time. Well, that is, I mean, I think she's unusual for now. Indeed. Indeed. So that's my my little scoop. So in fact, I, nice think, job. I think same author for this chunk of Nancy books that we're very, reading. Very, well, the, I, I mean, I thought, this, I, I thought this one was much more similar to the hidden staircase than either of them were similar to the old clock i agree i'm really hoping the old clock was just like a one-off miss because that yeah, book it seems like an sucked. outlier that book was yeah, the worst so <laughs> <laughs> which is crazy because i mean that is the book that is so synonymous i feel like i mean people know that as a nancy drew book i right. think that's the book cover and the illustration that gets associated with it so much and i mean i'm sure if you went on 
you know, Family Feud and asked for a name of a Nancy Drew book, The Secret of the Old Clock would be the number one answer. Uh, well, hey, in- interesting, excellent research. Good Thank job. You. I didn't research anything. Hey, that's okay. But so in your own brains research, though, did you remember anything about this book from your youth? No, but I can say with confidence that this is 1000% why I thought bungalows were shacks. <laughs> I totally get it. Because there are two buildings in this. I don't know that the second one's referred to as a bungalow, but like they're both fall down shacks. And more and moreover, you know, that like the word bungalow appears directly above this image on the cover of, of a shack. So I just, you know, context clues, Karen. I just thought it was a I thought they were fall downs. I didn't know. It makes it makes a ton of sense now. And I actually when we started having this conversation about the bungalow many moons ago, had not many moon lakes ago. <laughs> I had not recently <laughs> looked at the cover of this book and as soon as I pulled it out to start reading it this week, I was like, oh, oh. <laughs> I understand now. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, in that kind of vein, and if if anybody's listening that hasn't listened this is your first episode you're listening to. There was kind of a discussion about the whole uh, what a bungalow is question back in our first episode that has kind of continued over the last three. Um, so in that vein, our I'm just going to read our favorite one sentence plot entry this week because <laughs> I feel like it's appropriate and covers a lot of territory. And then we're going to have to put the bungalow issue behind us, Karen. We're going to we bury the bungalow. So our standout one sentence plot was from Megan, who said, Nancy wanted Karen to be right, that a bungalow was a fancy vacation getaway. But unfortunately, Kelly won this time. And it's true that a bungalow can be a total POS. (laughs) I completely agree with that. (laughs) So, you know, I mean, I think we've all learned some things. I we're going to talk more about bungalows in a bit, but I do appreciate that Megan gave me like a little bit of a backdoor win on this and, and, and kind of validated that this is why I thought bungalows sucked. I'm not ready to, to fully uh, concede this battle yet, but I'll, well, you you shouldn't because you were ultimately right. (laughs) (laughs) So, So don't cave too fast. So without further ado, it's time for today's super fast plot by Karen. All right, here we go. I take it away. While Nancy and Helen vacation at Twin Lakes, they are nearly killed in a boating accident when a sudden storm springs up. Fortunately, they're rescued by 16-year-old Laura Pendleton, who whisks them away to a beach bungalow, where they break in and drink stolen hot chocolate. Nancy learns that Laura is a recently orphaned heiress to a vast fortune and is in town to meet her new guardian, Jacob Aborn. The three become fast friends, play some tennis, and Laura goes on her way to live with her new guardians. Helen feels suspicious about the guardians' intentions, but they all carry on with their vacationing. Nancy gets called back to River Heights when she learns that Hannah has sprained her ankle and Carson has become embroiled in a new case involving the theft of a great deal of bonds and securities from Monroe Bank. Carson gives Nancy a list of four suspects to interview, and Nancy is stoked. When Nancy begins her local interrogations, Laura shows up at the Drew household, paralyzed with fear. Her new guardians are overly interested in her dead mother's jewelry, so she escapes down a trellis with the loot and flees to Nancy's house. Nancy decides to go sleuth at the Aborn house, wearing pseudo-camouflage and sensible shoes. She finds a shack surrounded by footprints, and when she's about to break and enter, runs into Aborn, who asks some super shady questions about Laura's whereabouts and mental state. Nancy decides to stay in the area overnight so that she can snoop around the Aborn property in the dark of night. First, she hangs out on the beach and has a leisurely nap in a nearby hotel. 
Later that evening, Nancy breaks into the Aborn's house and, while hiding in a closet, overhears the couple talking about their plans to steal Laura's wealth. She also breaks into the nearby shack and discovers the real Jacob Aborn chained up in the basement and nearly dead from thirst. Jacob reveals that the crook is Stumpy Dowd, a notorious actor and box office con artist who has been impersonating him to steal not only Laura's wealth, but Jacob's securities as well. Suddenly, Stumpy appears in the basement and ties Nancy up with a promise that he knows where Laura is and will get those gems once and for all. Fortunately, Carson, Laura, and hot new guy on the scene, Don, have become concerned about Nancy's whereabouts and hit the trail to find her. Nancy manages to free herself from her captor because she has extensive knowledge of rope escapes, and they all convene at the Aborn's house in a panic. The real Mr. Aborn and Laura are finally united, and Nancy and her dad go to try to cut the criminals off at the pass before they flee with everyone's bonds and securities. What are bonds and securities? We still don't super get it. They show up at the beach bungalow, where the crooks have been hanging out and amassing their stolen loot. Carson is hit over the head and rendered unconscious by one of the crooks, but then ultimately is totally okay. A high-speed chase ensues, the carload of bad guys goes over a cliff where they're miraculously not killed, and then they're surreptitiously captured by the local police force. Nancy recovers the stolen loot from the crashed vehicle moments before it explodes in a fiery disaster. Everyone meets up at the Drew house to celebrate another double mystery solved. Laura gives Nancy her mother's aquamarine ring as a token of her thanks, and Hannah Gruen makes everyone open-faced sandwiches. The end. Amazing summary, sis. Thank you so much. There was a there was a lot in this one, but I, I tried to pare it down to the essentials. So today's hot topics that we decided we wanted to discuss, as always, we're going to talk about the crime solving. Mm-hmm. We're going to talk about the bungalow. Yes. Obby. We're going to talk about River Heights friends and dating. Mm-hmm. And we're going to talk about wealth management in River Heights, which, you know, slash the Great Depression. And we're going to talk about Nancy and who she is in this book and her character development. I love it. Before before we conclude with our follow-up questions. So before we dig in, because there is a lot to cover in this book, general thoughts and musings? General thoughts and musings on the bungalow mystery. You know, I really enjoyed this book. Um, I thought I saw the author grow a little bit in her use of literary devices uh i felt like such as uh foreshadowing was employed in a much more effective manner in this book than previously uh we actually okay, so pause yes pause give me one example of foreshadowing and tell me how that's different from a spoiler <laughs> okay an example of foreshadowing uh, now i need to think of an example an example of foreshadowing would be um when nancy first sees the shack and she thinks she hears sounds inside Ah. of it and she hears like the grumbling and groaning of a voice but she can't stay she has to you know go hang out on the beach or something but that seed is planted in our mind that something's in there and she needs to get back to it a spoiler so a a clue as opposed to a spoiler yes a spoiler would be the solution to this mystery is hidden in old clock and the name of the book is the secret of old (laughs) clock (laughs) or for example one of my things in this that actually made me angry was the illustration opposite the table of contents. Oh, well, I gotta look at it again. So page one, opposite the table of contents, there is a picture of Jacob Aborn tied up and chained in the basement and Nancy discovers him and the caption reads something like, tied up in the basement was Jacob Aborn. You are correct. That is the worst. (laughs) 
So from page one, you know that Jacob Aborn has been kidnapped and held hostage somewhere. And so it's not a hard... I mean, I had this whole book figured out on like page 15 because of that illustration. So, you know, I just... I was mad. I'm going to Because I think if that hadn't been there, it would have taken me... I think I would have figured it out, but it would have taken me a much longer time. I understand. And I'm going to not blame that on Carolyn Keene. I'm going to blame that on the publisher and illustrator. I agree. Um, I, I feel agree. like I feel like the foreshadowing was better. It wasn't like the the worst outcome of this would have been there was no foreshadowing. And then suddenly it's like, oh, Jacob Aborn was tied up in the basement the whole time. And we had no build to that. So I was super here for that. Agreed. I also thought we did a little bit better sense of like evoking a sense of place like I felt very attached to like the Twin Lakes environment it felt very much like Twin Peaks to me with like the Pinecrest Motel it was kind of this like spooky Mm -hmm. Pacific Northwest like murky vibe which I enjoyed um and then the last yeah yeah the last thing I'll say in terms of literary devices I can't believe I remember this term, but the book began in medias res, in the middle of the action. Oh, it sure did. <laughs> I would never have remembered that term, but it. Uh, my note was, we got right to it. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Like, usually, then, well, in the first two books, it's, you know, Nancy's combing her hair and washing her car and thinking about what she'll do that day in this book. is like, Nancy and Helen are about to drown in a boat. No, but but disagree. All three of them have started like that. So the first one on the first page, she rounds the corner and just about runs over the four-year-old. Oh, that's true. That's true. And then the second one, I mean, you're you're a little bit, I, I'll give you that on the second one. Although the mystery happening starts right away because Helen walks in and or Helen calls her on the first page and says, hey, I've got a mystery for you, Nance. But, but you're right. It didn't start mid-action. Right. I think, like, the first two just had a lot more exposition around, like, Nancy, the blonde-haired, blue-eyed teen detective in her blue convertible. You know, like, it's the true, action is, is nigh, but there's a lot more stuff that I'm like, get to it. This book was like, they're going to drown. Let's go. Yeah, no, you're totally right. And, I, I mean, because of that, you're in it immediately. So. What did you think about this one? I really liked it. Um, my, my biggest thing was how dramatic it was. I mean, mm. I kept thinking, man, this... I can picture this being a movie. Oh. Um, Maybe not for children, but, you know, the James Bond crowd would have loved it. I mean, there were cars going off cliffs and explosions and kidnap victims and all kinds of craziness. So I just, I, and and the, and the drowning scene at the very beginning, I mean, that was crazy. Um, So yeah, I mean, I just, I, I really liked it for that. It felt, Again, like even more so than the last one, the stakes felt even higher this time. There was danger. Um, there was money to be lost. There was, you know, a teenage girl in the crosshairs. Um, so yeah, it all it all felt like really high stakes and really action packed, which which is good for me in a mystery novel. So definitely a much higher budget film than the old clock would have been. <laughs> Correct. The old <laughs> clock was a college student film. Film it on like, your All right. phone. <laughs> Correct. We're going to film this with our camcorder, and we're going to use grandma's house, my great aunt's house, and this guy down the street who's not home. Um, <laughs> but we've only got 24 hours. Let's get in and get out. So, yep. yep. Yeah. This one, you're going to have to throw a car off a cliff. So, <laughs> so again, this is a two-pronger. We got, we've got we got a two-pronger. And I'm thinking maybe this is kind of become going to become a thing where we're going to have 
two mysteries that intersect one another. Like a Carson and a Nancy. Exactly. Where we're getting, I mean, it feels a little bit obvious now after two of them, but we're going to have two mysteries with one solution, right? Yep, yep, yep. So the the nice thing about that and kind of the interesting thing about that is that, you know, if, if the Nancy side plot were to ever feel more juvenile, which I think it maybe did a little bit in the hidden staircase where you've got like a, a, a haunting. Yeah. Um, not so much in this one, but then you've got a real adult mystery coming in because, I mean, Carson's been engaged on it and, you know, there's a bank involved and there's real like federal level crimes happening here. <laughs> so, um, you know, they can't be chalked up to just like, you know, a little girl solving mysteries. That's not what these are. And I think that's what makes them so unique. So um, anyway, we've got a two pronger. So mystery one, we've got this whole, like, this is the official mystery, right? So this is the only one that Nancy is actually like officially brought in to work on. And that's this theft of these bonds that Carson is investigating. Why? I don't know. I Unclear. Mean, <laughs> Carson's an attorney. One would think that he would be brought in, like, after the criminal was captured to prosecute. But, no, he's been brought in to investigate. And, hey, times are tough. Maybe Carson's also, like, attorney slash PI these days. Not really sure. Multiple hats. <laughs> he's He's got a real Matlock kind of philosophy going here where he's, he's going to defend and solve. So, um, which I got to say, I love that show. I have always loved Matlock. You know that, but True. best show ever. Carson is just a young, young Matlock. So Carson's out investigating the theft of these bonds, which, I mean, they're, they're essentially cash because they've been signed as whoever bears the bond <laughs> is entitled to the value so can i ask a this is a dumb question but is a bond just like literally a piece of paper that's like ten thousand dollars it's karen's i don't know karen i got a degree in theater so i mean you know <laughs> whatever look it up google it we you know you, you could all can google it so yeah no, no need to listen to me <laughs> So he, Carson, for some reason, I guess because he has to go to Cincinnati, which I was like, hey, shout out for the natty. <laughs> Cincinnati. Um, I guess he's so busy out of town that he decides to bring Nancy in on this and says, hey, I've got four names of potential people who work for the bank that may have been involved in this. So he sends her out to investigate those four names. I, I will, I, I just, I, again, I found this like sub mystery to be extremely complex I mean, yes. obviously, you and I are like, we kind of think we know what this is, but we're going to have to do some research and we don't really want to do that because it's not that kind of podcast. But I mean, I had to read it like three times. I did too. I was super confused about who had taken what, where, and like, they started discussing all of the different jobs that people had in the bank and their titles. And I was like, what is going on? Yes. So again, like kind of like with the railroad last week, I was like, this seems fairly intense for a children's book. Agreed. I, I wish I could go back in time and ask like 11 year old Kelly, like, so what do you think about bearer bonds and <laughs> securities? And is it something you're interested in getting into profession? I would have been like, I just skipped those chapters, you know? <laughs> Fast forward. I skimmed it. I skimmed it. Um, again, like this is the subplot, but it's 
it's a pretty important subplot because it does tie in. So, so, so Nancy, so Nancy has a list of four employees to investigate, and I'm not going to go into her whole method of investigating these people, but let's say it's fairly peripheral. Okay, so. <laughs> <laughs> There's not a bit. This is really a, I'm going to go with my gut kind of situation. I'm oh, like, yeah. Okay, well, you know, I do guess we have to contain two investigations to like 130 pages. So get on with your bad self, Nance. <laughs> so my favorite, we'll just start with my favorite because why not? My favorite was the woman who owns the two French poodles. Oh, which yes. I'm just going to go ahead and call twin poodles because everything is a twin. We're going to talk more about twins. We've been talking about <laughs> twins for two books now. So she's got two, she's got twin poodles, Irene and Frederica. <laughs> and she's clearly innocent. Yes, mostly Nancy. Mostly because of these poodles. Nancy's like, she just felt like a, like a good soul. I'm going to give her a yeah. pass. And that was she that. seems <laughs> fine. Yeah. And she was like, you know, I feel bad for her husband. She seems like a lot. <laughs> I, she basically went oi with the poodles already you she, know? Did, and, she did she yeah. did i i had a moment with that line and then i chose to not write it down so <laughs> well i went there for you you're welcome thank How you we pass that up we're talking about poodles poodles okay so next and and interestingly enough there is also a gilmore connection on this the the next one is she this the other woman she goes to investigate i can't remember her name doesn't matter again she Nancy quickly assesses that this woman has a heart of gold and clearly couldn't have stolen anything. Yeah. Um, the the one piece of interesting information about this random character is that she has a Duncan Fife rocking chair. I think, uh, who knows if I'm pronouncing that correctly. There's like four or five consonants in a row. So <laughs> I've, I'm going to take a whack. But I did look up Duncan Fife and, and he was a cabinet maker turn furniture maker in like the late 1800s early 1900s and then in the 1920s 1930s um they started remaking furniture in his style oh and there is a reference that emily gilmore has duncan fife furniture so i was like man this is just a crossover book interest that's an interesting little clue about the author too because nothing else in any of these books has that level of specificity like they never name like a car brand they talk about cars constantly never hear a car Mm -hmm. brand like nothing never hear the name of a store but we have a duncan fife rocking chair (laughs) i know i I wrote it down because i was like that is such a fascinating level of detail where we get nowhere else (laughs) one guy is cleared because she finds out he's friends with the bank president, even though this is the person, and we'll talk about Don a little bit more later, but this was the one person she was going to be able to meet naturally in real life. Like, the whole reason she meets Don, theoretically, is because Don comes to invite her to go to a barbecue at this suspect's house. Totally. And then she cancels because she finds out he's friends with the bank president, and Carson says, never mind, he's fine. And I'm like, or is he in cahoots with the bank president? But... No, he's cleared. Yep, we just move right on from that. <laughs> move right on to hot suspect number four, who we find out is an actor. They're poor and therefore clearly shady. Mystery number two is like the unofficial mystery, but that's the one that, that Nancy is following, right? So this is the Nancy mystery. Okay. And it's not unlike in the first two books. This is nothing that she's officially asked to investigate. So... Um, 
this is this is hunch following, which I think is like the big my big takeaway on her mystery solving in this book is that like she is now following her gut. She's got two solves under her belt and she's like <laughs> confident. So she gets into this mystery because she meets Laura in this near drowning experience. So I want to talk about that. So this is chapter one. She meets Laura. Laura is the key character in this entire book. The entire mystery revolves around her. So Laura, Laura initially like weirded me out quite a bit. I was, yeah, I I was like, I don't trust this person. She turns out to be like, you know, the, as you said, like the key character, but like her, the way she appears is strange. Mm -hmm. Like Nancy and Helen are going down fast in a sinking boat. They're going down at, I want to pause. Where are they, Karen? What they're, lakes are they on? They're at the Twin Lakes, in fact. They're at the Twin Lakes. Twin Lakes. Hmm. 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 Hashtag two by two. Familiar. Also, I will point out that they immediately tell us that one of the Twin Lakes is larger than the other. So they're not... Oh, my God. I mean, I, I'm like, okay, so I guess they're fraternal Twin Lakes, but it just... <laughs> It just bugged. Like, why would you call them Twin Lakes if they're not even, like, remotely the same size? It just I mean, seems like you just want to throw around the word twin. We, we had twin elms in the last, but I know, I know. We mm-hmm. just, we got We had duplicate mansions. I just, <laughs> Well, so Laura, here's my beef with Laura. but And I, this dissipated because I learned that she was not a bad guy. But Laura is, like, a surprisingly, like, inept 16-year-old who... And not inept, sorry. Laura is a surprisingly adept 16-year-old who, like... <laughs> I was like, is she? <laughs> who, like, saves two adult females from drowning in her little rowboat in a yes. horrible storm. And then horrible storm. we learn that she's an orphan because her dad has died years ago in a boating accident. Thank and, you. And her mom just... Her mom has died most recently, leaving her an orphan, which is here and lies the problem of the entire book. But, like, also... I was like, flashback to book one, first character we meet is baby Judy, who we learned Mm -hmm. is an orphan because both of her parents died in a boat explosion. And I'm like, (gasps) I totally forgot about that. Like, why are so many parents dying in boat accidents in this town? Like, they need to- That's a great question. Stop boating. No more boats for these people. Well, I think, I think, I mean, Nancy, this is the second boating incident she personally has had in three books. Yes. So I'm like, maybe it's time to, you know, stick to the main roads, girl. You know, grab a scooter. Hang up the oars. Have you tried skiing? You know, maybe that'll go better. <laughs> if you haven't read the book, I know you read the book, but my dad's probably listening and I guarantee you he hasn't read the book. Nancy and Helen are just <laughs> out. They're on vacation again and they're they decided to take a little trip onto, I think, the larger of the two twin lakes. I'm, like, rolling my eyes so hard. Um, and this squall, I guess, to use the nautical term, blows up. And it turns into, like, the middle of the Pacific Ocean. Yes. And they run into a log, and there's now a hole in their boat. And, and Helen, like, finds a... The, the number of things they were finding on this tiny little boat, I was like, where are you finding these things? Like, it's not like there's a below deck or something. So no. she finds a paint can and is bailing and no, but they get thrown off and the boat sinks. And now Nancy's trying to swim to shore, but Helen can't feel her arms. Helen, which, like, because she banged them on the boat <laughs> at some point. 
But so Nancy now is trying to like tow Helen in too, because, you know, what's Jim gonna do if Helen doesn't make it? And then out of, out of, you know, the fog and the rain comes 16 year old Laura, who I think initially I thought had also gotten caught on the lake in her rowboat during the storm. I I assumed that as well. But I don't think that's the case because she eventually says, I heard you crying and I knew I couldn't let, I I knew I had to come save some, whoever I heard cry. So I think we are meant to believe that 16 year old Laura, whose father died in a boating accident, jumps into a boat during a storm and goes and saves these two girls. That's exactly what we're meant to believe. And I was like, this seems incredibly suspicious to me. I don't believe, I don't believe it. I don't believe it. But I agree. It's true. (laughs) Don't we also find out that she's a little bit of a Nancy fangirl? Oh, yes. Like Nancy is full on hashtag influencer status now in River Heights. Like as soon as Nancy drops her name, Laura's eyes get like the heart emojis in them. And she's like, oh my God, I, I heard about how you found that old clock and the hidden staircase. And I just, I'm your biggest fan. (laughs) Are we going to find out that Laura actually nearly punched a hole in the bottom of this boat so that she had the opportunity to rescue them? This is is a stalker flick, it turns out. Mm. (laughs) My mom doesn't even like me to drive alone on highways. So, you know, I just, I'm, I'm just curious, like, Laura, do you not have the psychological voice of your parents in your head all the time going like don't get on the lake that's how your father died i mean her love of nancy uh you know it it powered it powered her through <laughs> long story short then you know nancy senses something is off about laura's story okay uh-huh. so it's just she gets this hunch and you know laura's telling her you went through it all in the plot but laura's telling her her parents have died she's got these new guardians She's very nervous to meet them, understandably, and the girls all end up meeting these guardians kind of together, and Nancy's just got a real bad sense about it. So she's kind of decided she's going to keep tabs on Laura, make sure she's okay, and goes home. Well, you know, one thing leads to another. She gets this crazy call that she thinks is from Laura in need of help, and she goes back to reinvestigate. And ultimately, as you said, she finds the real Mr. Aborn, as we, you know, all know from the table of contents illustration. She finds the real Jacob Aborn, Laura's real guardian, locked in the basement of this, you know, middle of the woods bungalow. It's a shack. And the shack, right? <laughs> um, and like, this is some nefarious nonsense. I mean, this is not, I mean, once again now, two books in a row, we have kidnapped men locked in rooms where they will never be discovered no unless nancy's out looking for them and they're like starving to death in there they're starving to death yeah Yeah. just wasting away so nancy momentarily considers that jacob aborn the real jacob aborn and the unreal jacob aborn are twins I understand why she would think that because everyone is a twin in this town. Well, I, was, I, I agree, but I also I was like, I'm, we're, we're going to have to change the nature of this podcast if these two guys are twins. Like, I cannot keep doing this. This is, <laughs> <laughs> we're, we're going to have to move it along to like Sweet Valley High or something, because, which I'm sure has zero, t- no, literally it's about twins. So. <laughs> it's literally about twins. <laughs> That's not going to help. That's not going to help That's, at all. That has not solved my problem at all. Um, but I'm like, I'm going to quit the play if these guys turn out to be twins. Like, I just can't, you know? Um, but it's not. It's it's just like a real-life catfish situation. 
And I will admit that because season eight of Catfish came out this week on Hulu, I have done nothing all week but watch Catfish. And so I was like, oh my gosh, this is just 1930s pre-internet catfishing. But you can't steal somebody's internet persona. You just have to steal the whole person. Mm-hmm. 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 Also much easier to get away with back then. (laughs) So much easier. So much easier. Um, No DNA, no internet. Just, Just one Nancy Drew with no job and nothing but time. So then Nancy has luckily learned this get out of rope binding trick from, she says, another detective that came to visit her dad. And I'm like, is there another detective? I mean, it seems like no. I felt like that was a miss for some humor in this book because she she's getting tied up. She's playing back the scene in her head where she's been trained to escape from being bound by ropes and it's a a former detective that taught her this as you said and i was like i wanted it to be like the town magician (laughs) like the harry houdini of river heights because we already have a famous italian opera singer i was like let's keep this ragtag cast of characters going but no it was just a unnamed detective (laughs) nancy could just be like yeah last summer when i was a magician's assistant i learned how to get it that's That's exactly what i was looking for and i was so sad that that but uh, that would have been good i i was i was wanting her to drop like that the detective's last name was hardy oh oh yeah crossover (laughs) crossover not this fast anyway so she gets out of these she gets out of these ropes with her fancy magician trick amazing um luckily the fake mr aborn whose name is stumpy dowd which i just stumpy like i can't you know like stumpy (laughs) dowd um it just feels like there's a lot of fat shaming in these books. I'm like, I just, just because well, he's short and round doesn't mean that you need to call him Stumpy. But maybe I think he they self-selected do. that name. I think they do tell us at one point that his real name is, in fact, Stephen Dowd. But that they is do. that is moved on from very quickly. And it's like, just call him Stumpy. <laughs> but it was very nice of Stumpy that after his, like, really kind of mean like mustache twirling in the basement he did leave the key to the chains so um nancy was able to rescue herself she was able to drag this you know grown man out of the basement the real mr aborn and you know they eventually escape and you know the whole thing happens so um anyway like the rope the rope escape trick though was like that's a good one to know that's in her bag of tricks um some criticisms of nancy there was lots of sleuthing comma and swimming without a buddy to which I say, have we learned nothing, Nancy? You are right. I thought we were on a better traje- trajectory with that after the last book, but she Same. does set out on her own quite a bit in this mm-hmm. book. Yeah, not great. No. Um, she also is, she. I think, I think her dress was selected partially because it was like evening wear appropriate at the hotel restaurant she went to eat at but also because she would blend in in the dark she went she went out in a dress to break into these two estates uh she did change out of her pumps though because i was i was already getting angry about that she went down really she's she's putting on pumps to go tromp through the woods but no she put on sensible shoes so okay. sensible shoes this time that was an improvement we find out that she keeps an overnight bag at all times in her car and good for her i mean like I wish I were that forward thinking. I don't spend the night outside of my home too, like often enough to warrant that. Um, (laughs) 
but hey, you know, an emergency kit, right? But I want, I, 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 you, you know me pretty well. Of the items that she listed in her emergency overnight kit. Oh yeah, I forget all what, what was. What all... are what are the two? Do you think that? Do you re- do you remember there were two items in there that I went seriously? The one that killed me, and this is why I had to like laugh at this briefly during the super fat plot, super fast plot overview, was that she was just like, mm, my emergency swimsuit. <laughs> her emer- Thank you. Her emergency swimsuit. Like, just in case you need to go on your emergency staycation, you need to take a swim. I mean, I guess it's genius. And she got some use out of it. But She did. The other thing that she had, not necessarily in the overnight bag, but stowed away in her trunk at the very beginning of this book, when she and Helen hook up with Laura, she and Helen had been planning to go play tennis. Mm-hmm. And Nancy's like, oh, fortunately, I have an extra tennis outfit in the trunk. So, Laura, I totally you can come that. play with us. I was like, how big is your trunk, girl? <laughs> Gosh, who just has an ex- who has one tennis outfit? I mean, I guess Cor- if you correct. Play tennis, but like, no, the other one in her overnight bag was a robe. She travels. Oh, with a robe. yes. Yeah. Now, listen, I don't even I have one robe. <laughs> I I have a robe, but my robe is you know 9.99 from ikea and it is approximately the size of one full-size suitcase <laughs> i mean it is made out of 75 towels so i'm guessing that hers is like maybe a little bit cuter maybe a little less fabric but still i'm like must you have a robe for the privacy of your whatever yep she it's her it's her comfort kit kelly oh the other thing that we know she recognizes is some things have secret passageways in the item so for example that was a really weird way of saying that i loved it thank you the suitcases that she pulls out the you know 11th hour from this getting ready to explode car have hidden bottoms in them so that's kind of an interesting thing for the future that i think may come back up i actually got very distressed because at first she almost perishes in the exploding car and then she starts opening these suitcases and Carson's like, Nancy, you risked your life for two bags full of clothes. And I was like, that would suck. So I was really glad that there was the the hidden passage in the suitcase. <laughs> the, hid- the hidden suitcase passageway. That's what so, we're going to refer to these from now on. Like if there's ever like a hidden compartment in a drawer, it's a hidden passageway. Everywhere. Hidden passageway where wherever you look. <laughs> so two more things, and then we got to move on or else this, this podcast is going to be three hours long. So as I mentioned before, Nancy is going with her gut on this one. So this is really the first time where we've seen she's just got a hunch and she's going for it. She's following her gut. And I think we're going to see more of that. And the second one is... The cops barely get involved in this at all. So like the first two books, she was running back and forth to various police stations constantly reporting in, telling them where she was, telling them new clues. And this time she's like, eh, I'll let them know once I figure it out. Let me go check out one more thing. And if, if there's anything good there, then I'll let them know. Which And that's enough. the correct approach after what we've learned about correct. the police in this area. Like, they're just going to slow her down. So, correct. I, I mean, if I were it. Nancy, I would be like, well, you're going to send me in to interview the perp anyway. So I'll just do it now and save myself some gas. Exactly. Yes. Mm-hmm. I. That was very logical to me. <laughs> Same. This concludes my report of the solving of the mystery. Well, that was a very beautiful teardown of the the sleuthing in this book. Um, I can't sit on it any longer. I got to talk about this bungalow situation. Let's talk about it. Yes. So, listen, 
I'm listening. I, I think we're all correct. I think that a bungalow can be a real POS, as Megan put it, a shack mm-hmm. in your words. I think it can also be fancy, like an Airbnb that you stay at. I think it can be. You're correct. I think it's all of the above. What I what I want to address is that I completely understand why you. you had this like very clear vision in your mind because on the cover of the book there is a picture of a falling down shack below the word bungalow however upon reading this book i will say that we were very much led down the garden path here because the how so the the house the piece of architecture on the cover of this book is not the bungalow which is that is correct very confusing there are two domiciles in this book structure thank you there are two Mm -hmm. structures in this book one of which is the beach bungalow where they're stranded after their near-death experience on the lake the second is the shack in the woods behind the aborn household which is exclusively referred to as a shack i do think they throw the b word out there once in reference to that and i was like Mm -hmm. don't do it you're just going to confuse everybody it's going to confuse everybody but the little the little structure on the beach is the bungalow Yes. The thing in the woods where the guy's chained up in the basement is a shack. Correct. On the cover of the book, we are looking at the shack, not not the beach bungalow. So I felt like this was a real bait and switch in terms of what we were meant to be visualizing here. So there's I agree. effectively two bungalows, one could say. Yes. I'll go with you on that. Thank you. And so mm-hmm. I... And, as, and both of them suck. They, they're not great. I mean, the first one didn't sound that bad. It just sounded empty. I mean, it was it was more like a um, a boathouse. A boathouse, yeah. Yeah. It didn't have, like, it, it was not refurbed in any way. But it it they used the word dilapidated to describe the shack. But the, the beach bungalow was mostly just, like, abandoned. Empty, right. Yeah. Um, so having Googled this today to just mm-hmm. put yeah, this to bed... Just- Put it to bed. Whip, whip it on me. What's bungalow? Bungalows began in Europe, but in America, they were initially used as vacation architecture. Mm-hmm, Very mm-hmm. popular between 1900 and 1918. So, so you were right. They're places you want to be. Yeah, they're places you want to be. There could right. be a palm tree. There could be there a palm could tree. There could be a palm tree. Um, they are considered to be very convenient for the homeowner because most of the living rooms are on a single story, but with like a little half, they're like 1.5 stories with like a little mm-hmm, half mm-hmm. room at the top. Um, Precious, adorable, love it. Pe- people really liked them at the time when these were very popular because they were considered to be very private um, because they were so low to the ground. You didn't have to worry about building like privacy hedges or planting like big trees so the neighbors couldn't see in your windows, which I thought was interesting. That's really interesting because first fo- the first floor always seems to me like the place where people can look in super easily. Totally. But in this world, they're like, no, that's like how high your hedges would have been. So <laughs> like, oh, lots of hedges, apparently. Okay. Um, and then uh, the, like uh, truly the Wikipedia article for this is a million pages long. There are multiple different named types of bungalows, one of which is the Chicago bungalow. There's like a Michigan bungalow. There are a million different types. One of them, which is what I had in my mind, is the overwater bungalow, which just to call back to The Bachelor for the millionth time on this podcast, like, this is, like, where they go for the fantasy suites, where mm. it's, like, in Bali, and they have yes. this little... Like, on stilts ca- or whatever. Yes, and there's, like, a dolphin swimming below you, mm. and you go outside, and, like, there's the, you know, 
sunset. You can you can stay there for one night just for in exchange for your pride. Indeed, indeed, that is the overwater bungalow. So the bachelor fantasy suite is what I was picturing. <laughs> I get it. So so the point is that a bungalow and and my friend Molly kind of pointed this out to me. Um, but they're inherently neither fancy nor unfancy. It's it's yes. architecture. They can be either the bungalow fantasy suite or they can be the POS by the beach. Yeah. But it, okay, I'm with you. Yep. The, the last it's thing I so want to nice say about to know that it's just so nice to know that we're both right and neither of us is wrong, which I know is how we've tried to keep it our entire lives. Oh, it. Mm. Moving on. I mean, <laughs> is that something to talk talk about our joint therapist at some point? About my my diary says otherwise. <laughs> Your diary. <laughs> um, the the other thing I wanted to say on the bungalow front is that. Um, you taught me the, the term B and E in the first episode, the breaking and entering. You don't you don't watch enough Law and Order if you didn't know B and E. No, I didn't know that, and uh, I say it all the time now because I love it. So B and E's have come back in a serious way in this book. Mm-hmm. We, Nancy was like not willing to B and E in book two, but she in this one she was like just let's get in. But it was I said in my notes breaking and entering, but now with like more loopholes. One hundred percent. And like, tell me if this sounds right to you, but she no none of this sounds right well it's like she every single time she wanted to enter one of these bungalows she was gonna do it but she had this moment of like rationalization that's like yes well that window looks slightly open which Mm -hmm. i could have climbed through and since they like left it available for someone to come in it's fine for me to break down the door going kind of thing like which seems wrong i'm really cold so yes. it's probably okay with the owners if I go ahead, break in, use their towels, and drink their hot chocolate. Like, they'll understand. And, and then I'm going to leave an unsigned note. That was my favorite part about it. Like, <laughs> they break into the first bungalow, which admittedly, I would have done the same thing. Like, oh, yeah. if, if the option is I'm going to freeze to death because I've just survived a drowning incident, or I'm going to break into this abandoned boathouse and, like, see if I can get warm, fine. But then... <laughs> But then she leaves an unsigned note and no money. Because presumably they don't have any, but it went I down just with found the it boat. really funny. Yeah. <laughs> the money the money's at the bottom of Twin Lakes, Kelly. <laughs> she stuffed it in the toe of her pumps and it's all gone. <laughs> so, you know, the bungalows, we've we've un- we understand what they are now, but also Nancy has a hefty disrespect for the she sanctity does. of bungalow ownership. <laughs> any home ownership. There's I mean, listen, I don't I don't, I'm not a lawyer, but I do watch a lot of SVU. And my favorite one was when she goes to Laura and says, hey, since you live at the Aborn's house now, I can go in, right? And she goes, yeah, sure, go ahead. I'm like, I don't think that's necessarily how it works if the way you're entering the home is by climbing up to a a second floor window via the rose trellis. Yeah, and like the person who gave you permission was like living there under duress Right. And also, like, and for ooh. seven minutes, right? And as a child, <laughs> correct. So again, maybe we'll have to ask some of our friends who actually did pursue a degree in the law. We have a couple of them, but I have we a do. feeling they're going to be like, "No, pretend like you're a vampire. You need an invitation." <laughs> Always ask for permission. <laughs> Just to go ahead and knock on the front door before you go on in. 
At any rate, that is uh, my my bungalow feels that I wanted to share with the class. We need we need to talk again this week about Nancy's friends and dating scene. Yes, um, we do. <laughs> yes, yes, we do. So we're going to condense it down real fast. We get Helen back. Okay, still no sign of Bess and George or Ned. Just throwing that out there. We're really getting kind of just. When do these people show up? Like, if if somebody had asked me, you know, before we started this podcast. Who are Nancy's best friends and boyfriend? I would have said Bess and George and Ned. And Ned, yep. Helen, They're... I have no recollection of Helen, but we are three books in now and no George or Bess or Ned. I will. I love Helen, though. and I, I on, do love Helen. Helen's name was like the third word on page one, and I audibly went, yes, Helen! <laughs> I, I just think her. it's really funny because I think everybody associates Nancy with those characters. And I mean, in the first three books of the series, which, you know, again, like, we talked about the old clock and the hidden staircase being so iconic with the series that those characters show up nowhere in it, I think is really fascinating. Um, but Helen's back. She's not here real long. She kind of like disappears PDQ with her aunt on a, What's another PDQ? vacation. PDQ? Pretty darn quick. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to write that down on the bulleted list under B&E. <laughs> I've okay. never heard that. I've sure, ne- you just okay. need to pretend like you're speaking most of your life over some kind of walkie talkie and you need to like <laughs> keep it quick, you know? PDQ. I PDQ. got it. Sorry to derail. I I love so, that. <laughs> so, like, Helen's out of there in, like, a chapter. But she's still getting married to the oil tycoon Jim. Yep. Who is still in Europe. Still have um, no idea if this guy is a murderer or not. Jim also could be a catfish. He he could be a French woman. I don't know. All options on the table. All options are out there. I can't wait to see what happens. But Helen, we do know, is proceeding with wedding plans. Um, her aunt is helping design her address, which seems pretty bougie in 2021 terms. Maybe this is pretty standard in the 1930s to have a custom dress. I don't know. I mean, is there not a David's Bridal in the 1930s? Who knows? Don't um, know. Also, Helen is clearly the one who forgot the life jackets in that boat. Oh, yeah. she it, she it That was like mm-hmm. her responsibility. They make that pretty clear that mm-hmm. like she yep. biffed on that one. I still love her, though, Kelly. I, I can't explain too. it. I just love I Helen. Too. I love her so much. She's my favorite. <laughs> All right. So so quick bet. Quick bet. Is she in the is she in Lilac Inn or not? Yes or no? Oh, God. I'm going to say yes, but I, I I'm going to say yes. I don't think she's going to be around for much longer, though. I think Helen's days are numbered. I think that she's going to get swept away by Jim, which will never be addressed. We'll never meet Jim. I, I think I we don't know. Ch- I, I think I think we go to her wedding. I, I don't. Okay, well, I think she's not in Lilac and I have no I have not read I have not read any of the book. I don't remember the book at all. I think Bess and George appear in number four. Okay. All right, I'm ready. Bet's placed. Oh, Helen, I miss her already. Next up, we've got Don Cameron. Don, D O N. And Don just zooms up back into Nancy's life to he's we we find out that he is dark haired and she went to the prom with him. Okay. So presumably yep. Don is awesome, but he like moved or something, whatever. Um, I really thought the it's, 
We did Don didn't need to be in this book at all. No, Don was <laughs> largely irrelevant. We thought Don was serving a major purpose, right? Because he pulls up to Nancy as she's going to investigate these four people for her dad, coincidentally to invite her to be his date at one of their houses. His sister's getting married. He's going to some kind of bridal party shower or something at her maid of honor's house, which is the maid of honor is the daughter of one of the men on Nancy's list to investigate. So it's like, oh, this is how Nancy is going to investigate the fourth guy on her list because Don coincidentally has invited her to go to his house. Yep. But then that never happens. Nancy finds out that that guy didn't do it. He's been cleared because he's the one who's friends with the bank president. And she ends up saying, Laura, you go on this date for me and I'm going to go investigate. So like, Don doesn't get her into the house. The guy isn't actually a suspect. And Nancy ultimately doesn't even go on a date with him. So, like, he no. serves zero purpose. He does seem to have a very nice time with Laura, though, he on, does. on the date. And um, he does come along at the very end when they're high-speed chasing the, the criminals from True. the bungalow. And... He does a little, like, slinking around the bungalow. I don't know that he actually contributes much to that, but he's he's present. So he has some sort of sidekick potential, which I enjoyed, but yeah, I... I think, I think he's gone after this one, though, don't you? Oh, for sure. Like, he's not coming back. And, like, Nancy just was very dismissive of him, and she yes. was very clear that her only, uh, her only interest in Don was, A, first of all, to, like, try to interview the suspect, and then, B... Mm-hmm. She tells him, if Laura won't go on this date with you instead of me, I'll still do it because I made a commitment to you. So it's very, like, duty-bound. But she does say, with regards to this whole Don situation, romance and detective work aren't going to mix. And I was like, oh, well said, Nancy. And I I guess, you know... She's focused, man. She's very focused. And I'm like, what is up with Ned when he shows up that gets her to like break that that fierce concentration I'm Ned sounds like the best so at any rate Ned is gonna have to you're absolutely right I hadn't thought about that I mean clearly none of these dudes are like enough interesting enough to pull her away from the mystery at hand so Ned is gonna have to bring the big guns metaphorically speaking and apparently he does because we all know in our minds that they're gonna be sweethearts forever so I'm I'm like Bring it on, Ned. So, Don versus Dirk, okay? So, we all hated Dirk. I like Don. Don seems fine. She's just not that into him, right? Um, Would Dirk have gone with Carson to help rescue her, though? Hell no. Dirk is... No. Dirk would not have, like, sullied his tennis whites to go on that adventure. Thank you. Thank you. So, okay. And the big question of... We're going to just start bracketing out Nancy's roster. Okay? Her dating (laughs) roster. So, we only have two options so far. So, we've got Dirk and we've got Don. And, I mean, I think we both agree that Don wins. Oh, no question. No question. I love Don. This could be a very short tournament if Ned shows up in the next book, but we'll see. (laughs) That's very true. Uh, so so, so next dude we got to talk about, kind of a minor character in this book, and I only have two comments to make about him. But Jim, is it Donnell or Donnell? I said Donnell. Donnell. Okay, it's D-O-N-N-E-L-L. So all I have to say is unacceptable naming. So we already have a Jim. 
Helen's fiance is Jim. Oh, you're right. And we already have a Don. We just talked about it. So we've got Jim Donnell. Really? Like, we couldn't come up with, like, a Craig Frankincense or something? <laughs> I mean, like, come on. Dirk Dirkerson. Dirk McDirkerson. Um, also, Jim has a sister. So he toodles up to save Nancy behind the fallen tree that almost kills her in her, in her little roadster car convertible thing with a sister because everybody has to go in twos. And Kath, his sister basically never talks. I mean, I think she's entirely just there to help move the tree off the road. Um, but I just, I was like, once again, here we go. Two by two. Everybody's got a, got a sibling. I couldn't handle Kath because my favorite TV show is Portlandia and Carrie Brownstein, one of the characters that she portrays is named Kath. Mm-hmm. And I, that's all I could see. Kath and Jim were like throwaway characters. I was like, why are you here? Like, it, ugh, we didn't need them. Jim could have just been by himself. Kath served basically zero purpose other than holding down the passenger seat next to him. She was, she was just a name on a page, Kelly. <laughs> well, before we talk about our friend Nancy and, mm-hmm. and what we learn about her in this book, do we want to really quickly address the, yeah. the Great Depression and how that's yeah. progressing? Yeah, I do. This will be like a a little bit less like history based than it was before, which let's be real. <laughs> well, we're still in the Great Depression, so we're caught up. Yeah. I think where I am becoming uh slightly annoyingly fixated is the fact that every single one of these books is focused around like wealth mongering and someone yes. trying to steal somebody else's dollars or gemstones mm-hmm. or stocks and bond certificates and I'm like, is is that going to be the mystery in every book is like somebody's stealing somebody's stuff i i don't know yeah it has you're right it has all been financial based one of the the things that left out to me amidst all of this wealth theft and poverty and things that we've been addressing going back the the disparity of wealth carson like in true seriousness says how much he wishes he had a helicopter oh my gosh (laughs) i know right He's like serious too. I know. He's not like there is no tongue in cheek. Correct. He's like Correct. running the numbers in his head. Like, could mm-hmm. I get one? Um, yeah. So that felt a little fiscally insensitive. That was a minus one for Carson in my book. Um, you brought up a really good point earlier about the actors who so Stumpy and his. I don't know if it's his wife, but his his partner in crime, the woman who goes around with him and. Um, they are the bad guys for sure, but like they've had a fairly rough go of it. Like their previous thefting had been, they say that their previous thefts were robbing box offices, mm-hmm. <laughs> which can't have been lucrative. <laughs> what I appreciated about them, this was like a new thing, a new device in the Nancy Drew saga was that they used their their training and skill set to execute this crime. Like, they were using stage makeup and, like, impersonating people and, like, wearing costumes. And I'm like, that's kind of cool. I yeah. like that. <laughs> that has been taken, though. You know, we've, we're book three. We've already used the nefarious actors who just happen to have, you know, a case full of fake mustaches at their disposal. Yep. I mean, we can't use that one again, you know? I so, bet we will. I bet we I will. Bet. <laughs> I'm just, I'm keeping my fingers crossed for the magician scenario, Karen. That would have been good. That would have been good. I, I'm, I'm holding out for that magician. 
Yeah. No, they're, they're, the, the helicopter definitely stuck out at me. The other one, this is the second time now where there has been a live orchestra playing somewhere Nancy has gone. So she, she gets this like, she kind of made it seem like it was a casual little, you know, lakeside motel that a she motel. was going to get a cheap, a cheap, you know, room at for the night, right? Yeah. And, then she ends up having this amazing, you know, steak and potatoes dinner, and there's an orchestra playing in the next room. And I'm like, girlfriend, I mean, the Motel 6s that I've stayed at, you know, you can't even get a pizza delivery guy to show up there, much less no. eat at an orchestra-played steakhouse on premises. So You're, like, lucky if the Continental Breakfast has a waffle. Like, come on. I, I was going to say you're luckily, lucky if there's a waffle house in the same parking lot. <laughs> I mean, that's going to be a La Quinta, let's just be honest, and yeah. At the end of this one, though, too, so per usual, as we wrap up, Nancy gets a, uh, a, a token of appreciation, and much better this time. Yeah, she, so does, she, she does a little bit better this time. Laura gives her, like... A ring, like her mother's mm-hmm. aquamarine ring. Um, yeah, which, and, and did you have some issues with this gifting? I did. Like, this girl is like, Nancy, I appreciate you so much. Thank you. I'm going to give you one of these jewels from my dead mother that I've been protecting this whole book, which, like, her mom just died. That seems like a moment when you say... No, no, I couldn't. A hundred percent. And Nancy's like, oh, sweet. Oh, Nancy, no, you're supposed to say no at least three times. And then if she says yes four, then you get to keep it. But Then it's yours. Okay, so I think we need to talk about Nancy Drew and who she is, right? Because we do find out some more interesting information about her. Every book, book, we just get a little Mm -hmm. more flavor for our friend Nancy. So you mentioned this before, but Nancy has, like, made a name for herself in Two Mysteries in River Heights. Yep. Yep, she's she's, she's the go-to girl. She's famous. She's got celeb status. Word has gotten around. We find out that she collects matches as souvenirs, which I feel is just a convenient collection to have at this moment. I'll be very curious to see if we ever hear anything about her match collection again, but I speculate not. Yeah, she she starts <laughs> collecting matches maybe in this book and then immediately needs them to light a lantern. Thank you. Yeah. It would have been wouldn't have been great if she had started collecting double D batteries. Oh, Kelly, that was my note in this learning Mm. about Nancy. This was the one time when I was like, Nancy, you let me down. Like, she is on the struggle bus with her flashlight situation. Like, she has never needed a flashlight more than she does when she's breaking into this shack to save this chained up man. And she's like, oh, God, my flashlight's dying. Also, I realized that double D is a bra that she probably just needs D batteries. (laughs) Go on. (laughs) so i i i'm hoping that she learned she seems to learn something in every book and i'm like get your flashlight game on point my friend she does i yeah i'm i'm totally i'm in total agreement with you i was like Um, really really also i i was i guess surprised but glad that she knew how to work a kerosene lamp i mean are those still so ubiquitous in 1930 that an 18-year-old would know how to use them? I, I certainly wouldn't have. Like, I would have burnt that shack down. That's I, for I sure. Would have, I never would have touched that thing. I would have <laughs> been like, gas? I smell kerosene? Like, you know, don't knock two rocks together or we're going to go up in flames. But she here she is lighting matches, shoving them in walls. Also, how long are these matches? Oh, probably very small if they were on the table at the motel One would think diner. that they would be normal little shorty matches, right? But she's... 
she she does a lot of work by matchlight in this book. All solvable, all solvable by having backup flashlight batteries. <laughs> all preventable. Um, She's an auto mechanic. She is an auto mechanic. Add that to her list. Add that to her resume. I am going, we need to publish a Nancy Drew resume. And this girl, I mean, I would hire her. Oh, for sure. And I, I think what was really impressive to me about the auto mechanic moment, she's like, my car won't start. It's definitely not the battery. And she's like futzing around with it and says a bunch of car stuff I didn't understand to identify what the problem is. And the the book says, fortunately, Nancy had taken several classes on auto mechanics. And I'm mm-hmm. like, she went to an awesome school that yes, A, she, she learned all of these life skills. I didn't learn this stuff. And B, None. I don't feel like that was typically the types of classes in which females were preferentially enrolled in the, the you know, the 1920s. Agreed. I would have thought that she would have learned how, like, been in a home ec class, but not in the auto shop class. So I was very appreciative of that. Yeah, that was super kick-ass. Karen, I would, I I am barely confident of which button releases the gas tank door on my car. (laughs) I'm really not sure I would know how to put the, 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 the lid up. That's not the right word. The hood up. Hood is the word I'm looking for. I don't, I'm not confident that I would know how to release that latch. I am so excited for dad to listen to this podcast. <laughs> well, and the sad thing is he's shown me several times. Several I just hear, times. I hear his sigh from all the way from Cincinnati mm-hmm. to Seattle. <laughs> Nancy is also clearly a former Olympic competitor in swimming or like a deep sea lifeguard. She, like, say, Helen is, like, her bud, older than her. So, like, we're working with, like, the same size body here, not like a child. And they're both in grave danger, and she saves Helen. She's like, Mm -hmm. Helen is done, like, can't swim Mm -hmm. anymore. And Nancy is like, I will swim you to safety. And she Mm -hmm. does. Well, and Helen's even like, leave me. Yeah, Helen says to just leave her to die, (laughs) which I was like. Just leave me. As always, this is why I love Helen, because I really see a lot of myself in her. (laughs) Same. I wouldn't have even started to bail the boat out. I would have just been like, well, this is it. This is it. (laughs) It's been real. Titanic (laughs) 2.0. I mean, the way the Nancy Drew book is going, though, there would have been the orchestra that, like, played them down just like Titanic. (laughs) My question is, like, what exactly was the bungalow mystery? (laughs) I don't know. That's such a good question. I don't know. Oh my god! Like I, I, I feel like somebody called up Carolyn, pseudonym whatever her name was, and said, "Okay, your first two titles were like a little on the nose. Let's maybe, you know, try try to not give it all away right in the title on round three. And then they went like real far off the mark." Yeah, the, the bungalow was so non-essential to this book. And there was no mystery at the bungalow. Like, at no point was Nancy like, hmm, I think something suspicious is happening about this bungalow. It was like, no, I think something suspicious is happening with Laura's guardians. It's like the the title should be The Mystery of the Missing Stocks and Bonds. <laughs> or the, the Stolen Identity. Or The Missing Guardians. Or... yeah. But, like, the bungalow mystery, I mean... The bungalow's not mysterious. No. And it's it's barely a character... Like, it's just the hideout that comes up two times in the book. 
Well, and they kind of did that with the last book. It was just called The Hidden Staircase, but I guess The Bungalow. Well, I don't know. You could have a book like, called The Bungalow. The, if, if The Hidden Staircase didn't exist, n- the plot wouldn't have happened in the last book. Good point. But if The Bungalow hadn't existed, nothing fundamentally would have been different. We lose nothing. Nothing would have changed. <laughs> This is, I, oh, my brain hurts. Uh, you are so correct in all of this. Okay. So, um, uh, so, yeah, should should we rate this sucker? I think we should. And uh, we've decided that this week we're going to rate Nancy Drew and the Bungalow Mystery out of a possible 12 French poodles. <laughs> I think that's appropriate. I am going to rate the Bungalow Mystery. I'm going to give it a 7 out of 12 French poodles. Why justify uh, still not as bad as the old clock, so it has to be higher than that rating. Not as good as the hidden staircase. I removed a French poodle because there was not a magician teaching Nancy rope tricks. Fair. That's that's right. And I added some French poodles because Helen. Okay, well, Helen really is ranking high for you. I love it. Oh, also, I added a French poodle because Dirk is gone. <laughs> I, I agree with you. He, I, I think you remember I removed a gorilla mask last week because of Dirk. So you did. I think yes. that's appropriate. <laughs> I got to tell you, I'm going to give it four French poodles. Oh, ouch. <laughs> Mostly because I had it figured out by like chapter three because of that spoiler alert illustration. I, I that's fair. I, I totally mm. can appreciate that. I did. I did add a French poodle, though, because of the French poodles. like that i'm not even joking that part made me laugh so hard you loved the french poodles i did i thought it was hilarious i i love how much that tickled you like i didn't really feel that way about the french poodles but i do now because you love them so much (laughs) she could have just said dogs true so yeah i loved it um so let's move on next what are what are we doing next week? I think you're I think you're Girl very excited friend, about next week. <laughs> I am so excited. Okay, so next week we are taking we we told you this from episode 1. We are taking a deviation away from Nancy Drew for one episode for our first Super Sleuth special episode. And we are yes. going to be discussing one of my literally my all-time favorite books, The Westing Game by Carol Raskin. So, I'll just say if if you're listening and if you're listening because you really love this kind of like YA mystery genre and you've never read the, the Westing Game, you really should read it. I mean, these are all pretty quick books and won't take you that long to get through. But rather than have it spoiled, you sh- really you should read it because it's it's one of the more enjoyable mysteries that I can remember ever reading. And I'm, I will represent the people who haven't read it because I have not. And I know. so the folks who have not, no shame, you can go on that journey with me. I got several texts from our friends that are listening to this that were like, oh, my God, I love that book. Yeah, so you're, you're, I'm, I'm really excited to talk to you about it because you haven't read it before. So, yeah. Cannot <laughs> wait. Um, so as always, uh, if you're listening and you're enjoying this, we would love it if you would rate or review or subscribe to our podcast. Help us spread the word. Please and thank you. And remember what we learned today in Nancy Drew and the Bungalow Mystery. If you can remember to pack an emergency overnight swimsuit, you can remember to keep a few extra flashlight batteries on hand. (laughs) Yes, you can. And with that, happy sleuthing! It's a Clue is hosted by Kelly Biscopink and Karen Farmer. 
Our logo is designed by Courtney Kyle. You can find her on social media at I am Courtney Kyle. The It's a Clue theme song was written and recorded by Danny W. You can find her on Facebook at Danny W Music. Audio engineering is graciously done by our friend Mark Goodlow. It-